A reading from the Gospel of John, chapter 8, verses 54 to 59. Jesus replied, If I glorify myself, my glory means nothing. My Father, whom you claim as your God, is the one who glorifies me. Though you do not know him, I know him. If I said I did not, I would be a liar like you. But I do know him and obey his word. Your father Abraham rejoiced at the thought of seeing my day. He saw it and was glad. You are not yet fifty years old, they said to him, and you have seen Abraham. Very truly, I tell you, Jesus answered, before Abraham was born, I am. At this they picked up stones to stone him, but Jesus hid himself, slipping away from the temple grounds. This is the word of the Lord. Good morning. For the sake of those of you that don't know me, my name is Gene, and for quite a number of years, I was one of the pastors here at Spring Garden Church until I retired about two years ago, and I'm always really grateful when the guys invite me. I'm speaking about the guys in a non-gender way, Abby, when the people invite me to come back and, and speak here again. Before I became the pastor of Spring Garden, I was pastor of three other churches in Ontario. And in each of those churches, there was a tradition that at the end of worship, I would go to the main door of the church and I would stand at the door. So it's, it was a standing tradition, you might say. And everyone in the congregation would come by and they would shake my hand and, and they were supposed to say, nice sermon, pastor, or something like that. And every once and again, there would be people would come through and they would want to take that opportunity to explain to me ways that the sermon might have been a little bit nicer. And I came to know who the people were, and I, and I would kind of be able to predict what sorts of critiques I could expect to receive from different people. There were some people who would want to correct something that I had said. They wanted to make sure that I was theologically accurate and sound. And so they would offer that sort of a critique. But there were other people who were more concerned, not with what I said, but with the way that I said it. I have to confess that on quite a number of occasions, my sense of humor got me into some trouble that I then had to go back and clarify. But also, I had a handful of people who I could count on to police my grammar. And I don't mean to cast aspersions on any particular profession, but I simply observe that over 90% of the people who would periodically correct my grammar were either teachers or retired teachers or retired clergy. And so they were people who loved to teach and were always grateful when I gave them an opportunity to teach me a little bit more of the English language. And so my experience standing at that door, and I have to say, we did not follow that tradition of me standing at the door to receive people's critiques here at Spring Garden. At Spring Garden, it took an entire coffee hour in the lounge in order for everyone to express their thoughts about what I had said and how I had said it. And so I find myself very much at home in the gospel reading we have today from the gospel according to John. And in this reading, 
Jesus was arguing with some Jewish people. Now, I'm not saying that in any kind of an anti-Semitic way. Jesus was arguing with Jewish people because Jesus was Jewish and he lived in a Jewish country. And when he got into religious arguments, he got into religious arguments with Jewish people. If Jesus had been hanging out with Baptists, he would have been getting into arguments with Baptist people. And the thing that's so surprising is that Baptist people would have had almost exactly the same theological arguments with Jesus that the Jewish people had. But in this case, he was talking to Jewish people, and his argument with them really came to a head when he said to them, Very truly, I tell you, before Abraham was, I am. And so they picked up stones to throw at him. But Jesus hid himself and went out of the temple. I am very happy to report to you that in all of the grammatical Corrections I had as a pastor, it never got so intense that people were ready to pick up rocks and throw them at me until I was dead. And certainly there is a grammatical problem here. They were concerned with the grammar of Jesus. He was misusing the tense of the verb to be. What he should have said to be grammatically correct was before Abraham was, I am. And it should have been before Abraham was, I was. Now, while critiques about my grammar never got quite this intense, I will confess that there were one or two Sundays when critiques about my theology made me think that I might be wise to run out to my car in the parking lot in a zigzag pattern. And it was the theological implications of this grammar that so concerned the people that were listening to Jesus. They realized that his grammar, grammatical mistake was completely intentional. And that what in fact Jesus was doing was referencing one of their most sacred scriptural stories. This statement, before Abraham I am, takes us all the way back to the time when the children of Israel were slaves in the nation of Egypt to a man named Moses, who was a Hebrew. He was from the children of Israel, but he had been adopted by one of Pharaoh's daughters and was living in Pharaoh's household. But when he became an adult, he got himself into a little jam with the law and he found it would be expedient for him to flee Egypt. And so he went out into the desert and he he got a job on his father-in-law's sheep farm. And one day he was out herding the sheep. It was actually more of a ranch, I guess, than it was a farm. He was keeping the flock of his father-in-law Jethro, the priest of Midian. And he came to Horeb and there the angel of the Lord appeared to him in a flame of fire out of a bush. He looked, and the bush was blazing, yet it was not consumed. Now, let's just pause here for a minute and look at what was happening. Because Moses nor we really have any frame of reference to explain what Moses saw there in the desert. It doesn't say that he saw a bush that was on fire. It was like there was, it said there appeared to be something like fire in the middle of this bush. So the bush was kind of glowing and, and sparkling and flickering. But the whole 
confusing thing about it is that while the bush looked like it was on fire, it wasn't actually burning. Nothing was being burned. Which makes it kind of ironic that we call it the burning bush. But that was the best way that Moses could describe it to anyone. And so he said to himself, I must turn aside and look at this great sight and see why the bush is not burned up. That's entirely reasonable. Let's go check this out. I've never seen anything like this before. And it got even more puzzling because when the Lord God saw that he turned aside to see, to see, God called to him out of the bush and he said, Moses. And Moses said, here I am. Kind of an odd thing when you see a bush that looks like it's glowing, and it's even odder when the bush starts talking to you. But out of this bush, God told Moses that God had a plan. And his plan was to use Moses to go back to Egypt to negotiate with Pharaoh for the release of the children of Israel so that they could stop being slaves and go to a promised land. Now, Moses almost immediately saw a number of problems with God's plan. And one of the most significant problems he saw was that the reason he had fled Egypt in the first place was the fact that Pharaoh wanted to kill him. But that wasn't the only problem. And Moses said to God, if I come to the Israelites and say to them, the God of your ancestors has sent me to you, and they ask me, what is his name? What shall I tell him? And God said to Moses, I am who I am. He said further, lest you shall say to the Israelites, I am has sent me to you. I've heard it said that there are no stupid questions. And I would not want to debate that. But I would simply observe that there may be irrelevant questions. For example, if a person is standing on the deck of the Titanic and they shout down into the ocean, how's the water? That's not actually a stupid question. But it may be irrelevant. It's, it's not the most important thing that's happening right then right there. And I'm going to suggest that Moses's question to God, it's not a stupid question, but it may be an irrelevant question. And, and I might want to say to Moses at that point, look, Moses, someone is talking to you out of a bush that's burning. A bush is talking to you. Do you think knowing its name is the most important thing? What more really do you need than the fact that you've got a burning bush talking to you? And we have to remember that Moses didn't know nearly as much about the God of the Bible as we know about the God of the Bible. In the first place, no, not a single bit of the Bible was written when this story took place. So he didn't have the Bible to read. And in the second place, it's clear that he was aware that there was some kind of God who belonged to the children of Israel, that there was a God of their ancestors. But he grew up in Pharaoh's house. We have no idea how much he would have learned or known about that God 
Because whenever his mother, Pharaoh's daughter, talked to him about a divine being, she would talk to him about the Egyptian god of the sun, Ra, or perhaps some of the other Egyptian deities that were worshipped and believed in in Pharaoh's household. And so uh, Moses really didn't have any framework for theologically understanding who this being could be who was speaking to him from the bush. And I think that there might be a lot more pressing questions to ask than to ask the question, what is your name? And so God answered him by saying, Moses, look, man, I am what I am. Kind of reminds me of Popeye. I am what I am. I am who I am. I just am. What, what more do you need to know? I'm the one who's here. I'm the one who's talking to you. I'm the one who has heard your people crying in their slavery. I'm the one who's been paying attention to their misery. I'm the one who's going to send you back to Egypt to fix that. I just am what I am. And, and you need to... To deal with that, I have told you all that I need to tell you about myself. I just want to skip forward a couple of chapters where Moses, I think to some degree to his surprise, had actually been successful in negotiating for the children of Israel's release. And he's taking the people out through the wilderness toward the promised land and it didn't take very long until their food ran out. And they became hungry. And you know how people are when they get hungry? They get kind of hangry. And the people were getting kind of hangry. And they started to complain that they were going to starve in the desert. And once again, I am was listening to their complaints. And so I am said to Moses, it's okay. I will take care of it. And I'm, I'm reading in Exodus chapter 16. The Lord said to Moses, I'm going to rain bread from heaven for you. And each day the people shall go out and gather enough for that day. And in that way, I will test them whether they follow my instruction or not. Now, I just wonder how you picture that. How do you picture manna raining from heaven? I don't know about you, but I've always kind of imagined little dinner rolls falling from the sky and bouncing on the ground, or, or maybe, maybe something a little bit like a pita. But here's, here's what the scripture says it was like. I'm Same chapter, verse 14. When the layer of dew lifted, there on the surface of the wilderness was a fine flaky substance, as fine as frost on the ground. Now, I don't know about you, but that's actually not the way I had pictured it. This is kind of like a cross between snow and dandruff. Snowy dandruff was lying across the ground. And when the Israelites saw it, they said to one another, what is it? I think you're going to be surprised when I tell you the Hebrew word for what is it, or, or the, what you would say in Hebrew to ask the question, what is it? What they said in ancient Hebrew was manna. Manna. What is it? And you know what? They never found out. They just kept calling it manna. That's what they called it. What is it? Because they didn't know what it was. They didn't know what to call it. Mothers would say, honey, go out and, and, and get some what is it 
Put it in a bowl with some milk. Have it for breakfast. I think that would be, by the way, a great name for a breakfast food. Go, go to the grocery store and get a box of what is it? It would be a surprise every morning. What is it? Let's go back to a minute to, to the name of the God who spoke to Moses out of the burning bush. He does have a name. And his name is actually in the Bible quite a number of times. But I don't know what it is. And you don't know what it is either. Because the ancient Jews who first wrote the Bible, for some reason, they only used consonants and no vowels. And so we have the consonants of God's name, but they thought that God's name was too sacred to be spoken out loud. And so they lost the vowels because it's, you would only pick that up by hearing something spoken. And so we know the four letters that make up the name of God, but we don't actually know, or the four consonants, but we don't know the vowels. And so nobody knows God's name to this day. Moses said, who shall I say sent me? And you and I would have to answer, I don't know. I don't know his name. I don't know his name either. And I think that worshiping a God whose name is mystery to us, who simply is who he is, and who keeps giving us what is it, is entirely appropriate. Because of the God of the Bible is always a mystery. If you understand God, it's not God. Most of us suffer what psychologists call the illusion of explanatory depth. The illusion of explanatory depth is this. We actually think we understand more than we understand. And if you want to know whether or not you really understand something, then you need to explain it to someone who doesn't understand it and find out whether you can explain it or not. I, I once had someone give me extraordinarily good financial advice. They said, never invest in something that you can't explain to your spouse. If you can't explain it to your spouse, you're probably going to lose money. That's the illusion of explanatory depth. Think for a minute of the simple item that's part of our clothing called a zipper. I understand a zipper. Sort of. I have theories about it. I really don't know what happens in that little piece in the middle, you know, that's between the teeth and the tab that you pull. I, I know that it keeps my pants on, and I know it makes my jacket warm, but I, I really can't explain how a zipper works. I have reached the illusion of my explanatory depth. And if you think a zipper is complicated, how about when you hit a switch on your wall and the light comes on? Now, I know about wiring, and I actually know how a switch works. I know how to install one and what's happening inside the switch. But the whole thing about electricity that suddenly a light comes on, I, I, I really, I don't get it. But I use it every morning to brew my coffee. And really, do I need any more? Do I need to understand more about it than that? 
these Jewish people were angry with Jesus because they were in the illusion of explanatory depth. Jesus was performing all kinds of miracles and doing all kinds of amazing things. And they could see those things, but they couldn't really explain it. And so the way that they explained it was they said, you have a demon. You're doing these by, by the power of the devil, by the power of Satan. And as that argument went on, he said that, that even Abraham had rejoiced to see the day that he came. And they got into this whole thing. They, they knew that his grammar around Abraham was not about the timing. They had already clarified that he was already at least 50 years old, which makes you understand how living outside for three years, it had an effect on his looks. And he said, before Abraham was, I am. They knew immediately that he was identifying himself with I am who met Moses in the burning bush. And he was basically saying to them, you may not understand me. You may not understand what I'm doing. You may not understand how I'm doing it. But the fact is, the works that I'm doing are bringing glory to God because they are helping people. I am paying attention to people's cries. I am paying attention. When people moan, I hear it. And I am healing and helping people who need healing and help. I am. What more do you need to know about what I'm doing? As Greg already mentioned or someone already mentioned, today is Trinity Sunday. It's the day that we mark and celebrate the belief that we have one indivisible God who exists as three persons, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Then there are three of them, but, but those three, there's only one of those three. And I could try to put this, I could throw language around it that would make it maybe a little more understandable or comprehensible, but the fact of the matter is, the Trinity is just, I am who I am. We're not going to get it. We're not going to understand it. Every once and again, I have thought I had come up with the perfect analogy that would explain the Trinity and how something could be three things and one thing all at the same time. And every time I come up with that kind of an analogy that explains the Trinity, I do a little bit of research and find out that I have rediscovered a third century heresy. I've rediscovered several third century heresies trying to explain the Trinity to people. And I finally come up to the conclusion that I just don't get it. And it's okay because I'm not supposed to get it. Because if I can understand it, it isn't God. Not very long after Jesus died and ascended to heaven... The followers of Jesus were gathered in an upper room praying. And, and we celebrated this last Sunday on the day of Pentecost. And think about what happened there on the day of Pentecost. These followers were sitting in a room praying because they were frightened. And it says, suddenly there appeared to be 
tongues of fire over their heads. And, and something that sounded like a mighty rushing wind. It's, we're back to the burning bush. We don't have words to explain this. They were experiencing something that was inexplicable. But filled with the Holy Spirit, these scared disciples poured out onto the street where they began telling people in a multitude of languages they had not even learned about the mighty things God had done. And do you know what the people on the street said? Because they were good Jewish people. You know what they said? They said, manna. What is it? What is this thing? And the answer is, it's what I am is giving you. It's the what is it that I am is giving you. I am knows who you are. Knows your cries, knows your misery, knows your struggles. And you may not understand the things he gives you. You may wonder, what is it? But that's the way I am is. And sometimes we need to reach the knowledge of our lack of explanatory depth. To no longer live in the illusion. Many years ago, I heard a pastor say that God is whatever you need him to be. And like the Jews who were arguing with Jesus, I was almost immediately offended because that seemed to me to be a very human-centric idea of God, that our needs would define who and what God is. But the longer I've lived and the more I've experienced I am who I don't understand, and the, the more what is it's that I've received, I've come to realize that what he was saying was actually very true, that God has always been whatever I have needed. Now, that doesn't mean God has always been whatever I've wanted or that God has always been whatever I've wished. But he's always been what I've needed. Sometimes even when that's been a kick in the pants. And Jesus and the Holy Spirit are also I am and the Father is I am and they are simply are what we need. And we can get all caught up in describing the difference between the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. And it's all like shouting into the ocean from the deck of the Titanic. How's the water? What we need to know is I am the one who's listening to you. If you're broken and you're wounded, I am the one who heals you. If you're really being put down by someone and you just you can't take it anymore, I am the one who will come and rescue you. If you're confused about this whole God idea and what on earth he might be, he says, I, I am the one who comes to you as a human named Jesus. And I will show you by my living among you what God is like and what God thinks. And if you're 
if you're feeling useless and, and worthless and, and you're really worried about people in your life or you're really worried about the whole world, you're, you're worried about this tragedy of the residential schools and our continuing discrimination of not only the indigenous peoples of Canada but all different kinds of minorities within Canada. If, if you're worried about that, I am the one who fills you with the Holy Spirit and sends you out into the world to speak languages you haven't even learned yet to explain to people the wonderful things I'm doing in the world. I am what you need. And I think what's really cool about this is that God does not say to me, he's never said to me, look, just give me a chance to catch up and I will be what you need. I will become your comfort. I will become your rescue. I will become your healing. He always begins like, I am, I already am. Before you even turn to me to ask, before you even groaned that groan, I was aware and I am. And I'm moving. I am what you need. It might be nice to know other things about me. And it's good if you do. But what you really need to get is this simple thing. I am. And I'm going to give you what is it. I want you to take just a moment and center this in yourself. So I'm going to ask wherever you are just to sit comfortably for a minute. Maybe have your feet on the floor and your hands in your lap. and Breathe easily just to get yourself centered And I want you to ask yourself this simple question. What do I need God to be to me today? Do I need comfort? Do I need a deeper purpose to life? Do I need healing? Do I need knowledge and understanding? What? What do I need from God today? What do I need God to be? And now keeping very much in mind what you need God to be, I want you to hear this word from God. I am. Father, Son, and Spirit, I am. Whatever that need is, I am. Keep your eyes open. Because what is it? is about to arrive.